Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Great to see you here today. Uh, my name's Nathan, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Pathway Church, and if you are visiting with us today or if you've been away for a little while, you're actually jumping into uh, week five of a message series that's going to last nine or ten weeks or so. And the reason why we're spending so much time is because we're actually walking through a letter in the New Testament called First Thessalonians. And although it has a strange name, the letter is written by uh, Paul the Apostle and his partner in ministry, Silas. And Timothy was also with them, and these three, these three men had traveled to the Greek port city of Thessalonica. They had told people there about Jesus who is this, this Jewish man who was the Son of God, who was not only the Jewish Savior, but the Savior of the world, that all those who trust in him through his death and resurrection become uh, sons and daughters of God. We, we sung about some of these themes this morning. And so they had came and preached this message, which was foreign to those living in that city. And there were a group of people who began to follow, who would have identified as Christians, who said, we're seeking to follow Jesus and the instructions of Paul and Silas. And so a church, a gathering of people was formed in that city. We have this letter because Paul and his companions were run out of town by people trying to kill them. This was not uncommon in the early church. And they write this letter to encourage those young Christians left behind. And when I say young, I'm not talking about their physical age. I'm talking about spiritually young. They were not developed in their faith. And what we've been learning over these past four Sundays as we've gone through the first three chapters is that faith is a development process. That that the seed is the illustration that Jesus would most, most often use when he talked about faith. And he said the seed, what God wants to do in your life, is like a, is like a seed that's planted in the heart of, of humility. And when we receive the message, and we receive the love of God and his forgiveness and his saving grace, that over time, if it's nurtured, that seed begins to grow into a plant, which eventually grows into a tree. We've got a nice image here. So we understand how this works. Faith works in the same way. And so in this room, we have people at all varying stages of faith, those who are just beginning the journey, those who are thinking about beginning the journey, all the way through to those who have been trying to be, live the Christian life and follow Jesus with their whole heart uh, and life. And so last week, we used this analogy, which is the physical development analogy. And all of us came into the world, naked little babies, full of potential that is entirely undeveloped. And through the course of our lives, as we matured through adolescence and into adulthood, there is a process through which we grow in our gifts and abilities. And and so in the same way, our faith. And the reason why we're saying this is because Paul, as he's writing to these Christians, these young Christians in Thessalonica, he wants them to grow, to grow in their faith, that, that what they believe about God, that seed, would grow and produce something. So if they were to receive God's forgiveness and it was to take root in a humble heart, then what it would produce would be forgiveness for others. If they could receive God's love and have that uh, germinate in their heart, it would produce in them love for God and love for others. So, So God wants to grow his kingdom inside of us and change us from the inside out. Well, today, uh, we're entering into the fourth chapter of Thessalonians. And here in the fourth chapter, we're going to run into what I would call a touchy subject. Paul is going to address... Sex. Got quiet in the room. Um, Something we don't talk a lot about in church. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, I grew up in church. Probably half of you grew up in church and half of you didn't. 
And I grew up in church, and when I grew up in church, it, we never talked about it. I mean, kids at school, well, they talked about it. That's all they talked about at school. But then I'd go to church, and I would see, you know, my parents and the preacher, and everyone was dressed nice, and nobody talked about it. And I didn't realize that this is actually a topic that matters. I didn't realize that it's actually a topic that not only affects our culture and the world around us, but it actually affects every person in this room very deeply and very personally. So we're going to touch on a, on, a, on a touchy subject. As we were planning for this, it just happened that as we were going through this letter that we landed on this topic on Valentine's week, which I thought was funny. And so I was, uh, we were in a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at the upcoming services, and I was chatting with Jason. Everybody say, hi, Jason. He's in the back. Yeah. Some of you know Jason and his story. Maybe someday we'll get him to share his, his own story, but... Uh, Jason has been a, a professional musician, touring, living in Nashville, um, and, and so he's, his music has been his life, you know, let's say, safe to say. And so we were talking about this Valentine's Day service. What are we going to do? You know, we need something fun to start off before we get into this heavy stuff. And, and so Jason said, oh, well, hey, you know what? Like, all these famous songs, love songs, because it's Valentine's Day, and all these famous love songs that people sing and love, and I know some of you Christians are like, oh, I don't sing songs off the radio. Yes, you do, and you love them. And Jason... <laughs> And, and so Jay's like, hey, actually, all these songs that we're all so familiar with, they're all the same. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, let me show you. So he went to the keyboard and started playing a medley. And so I said, hey, let's, let's just play the medley. I'll jump in and sing a bit. And, and we'll, this will be a little performance for you just to kind of warm us up for what's coming. All right, so Jay, show us, show, show us what you mean. And what you'll notice is exact same chords, same everything through all these songs. It's amazing. My life is brilliant, my love is pure I saw an angel, oh that I'm sure She will be loved, she will be loved Forever young, I wanna be Segue right back into worship, couldn't we? Yeah. 
I could sing of your love forever. I know you know this one. Don't be shy. Sing along. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could. Oh, we forgot country music. That's what we forgot. And it's your love. It just does something to me. It sends a shock right through me. I can't get enough. And if you wonder about the spell I'm under, oh, it's your love. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That was great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That was amazing. You guys did great. I, I did a little Martina McBride for you. I think that's who sings. Anyway, lots of fun. <clears throat> well, that's probably the last fun we're going to have this morning, so buckle up. Because um, <laughs> as I said earlier, we're, we're kind of entering into uh, a somewhat charged topic of conversation. Uh, one of the interesting things about that is, is that all these songs, these love songs that, of course, we all know, were written over course of time and and throughout all these decades, they're all the same. The message is the same. Even the music is, curiously enough, the same. And as I was reading this week and the past couple of weeks, I've been studying um, Greco-Roman sexuality, which is a fun, don't, don't look that up. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was studying, and you know what's funny is some of the plays, some of the, um, some of the you know, what, for what they would have was entertainment would have been dramas and skits and stories, and they're about you know young lovers trying to sneak off and people having illicit affairs, and there was all these like, very deeply sexual topics, and then you start researching these ancient Roman cities, and they had like just, it was a very sex-crazed culture back then, and it's, nothing's really changed. You know, you walk through the grocery store, and you pick up a magazine, and it's like 10 ways to have the best... And it's just everything. It's everywhere. It's in the media. It's in the commercials. in the store. You you cannot escape. We live in a culture that is really very much um, sex crazed. And I I guess I should have given a little warning. Today's subject is somewhat mature. Uh, I know there are some younger folks in the crowd, so won't be. You know, we're not going to show those images. Um, MJ, we're going to hold those off. That's a joke. I didn't have any. Um, (laughs) But we're going to we're going to talk about a subject that is mature by nature and. What we really want to talk about today is God's purpose and plan for our sexuality and how we, and how we, how we move forward as we think about it. Again, we're, we're talking about how Christians are to live while we're waiting for Christ to return and how we're, to, how we're to use our time and our energy. And today, frankly, we're talking about how we use our bodies in a way that honors God. And so when we enter into this subject, it's important for us as Christians to ask the question is, what does our Christian faith mean as we approach this subject uh, of sex and sexuality. And again, in the, in the Greco-Roman world that Paul was writing to, many of these new Christians would have come out of other religions, and some of those ancient religions actually involved sexual practices in their worship. Like, that's one way to get people to go to church. Like, they did stuff. As part of the worship of the gods, there were things that were acceptable then that wouldn't even be acceptable now. So he's writing to a culture that is by, by no means much different than ours that people were thinking about it. And many of these Christians that had joined the church and were trying to follow Jesus and live the right kind of life 
were still connected to all of these things from their past and trying to figure out what following Jesus meant for this area of their life, specifically how they used their bodies. And so that's kind of where we, we jump into the content of our message. And so we're, we're opening up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, there's a number of things I want us to, to kind of pause on and take a look at as we start this conversation. In verse 1 of the fourth chapter, he says, Finally then, brothers. Now, I've, I've highlighted the word brothers. Uh, in, the, in the context that Paul's writing to, it was really men that had sexual freedom, not so much women, per se, in that culture. Of course, today's culture, where we live, is very different. Men and women are equally um, loose with the way they use their bodies in our culture today. And so we could either, easily say, finally, then, brothers, sisters, okay? And the point I really want you to note here is this, um, that what Paul is going to say in the next eight verses about sex and sexuality is actually for, he's talking to Christians, brothers and sisters. Paul is not talking to the culture. He's not talking to the Roman leaders. He's not talking to the, you know, the, the people that are popular in the media. Like, he's not talking to those people. And it's very important that as a church, when we start talking about something as touchy as this subject, that we understand that Paul and Jesus would speak to those that would seek to follow Jesus. And that's a very, very clear discernment because I grew up around church and church was often very judgmental of everyone outside the walls and inside the walls, but all the people inside the walls were just hiding everything, right? Because there were the people out there that were doing stuff and they didn't care. And then there was people in the church that were doing stuff and hiding it all. And as a church, I went to, I went, as a kid, I went to church and, and back when I was a kid, it was normal for people to dress up. And that was what we did traditionally. And people had shirts and ties and women's had dresses and everyone was well covered and, and everybody looked nice. And I remember as a kid and as a teenager looking around the church thinking, clearly I'm the only one who's tempted in this area. Like no one else here has any problems. All these happy married, happy single, happy widowed. Like everybody's just happy and nobody's got any problems. And as I've gotten older and get to know other people, you discover everyone deals with this. Everyone deals with lustful thoughts. Everyone deals with physical desires and urges. And that's not just the teenagers, friends. I've run into some older folks, and you think, wow, really? Yes, they're still thinking about it, okay? There's stuff. And, and we have to understand that this is not a subject that's just for people who are doing stuff that Christians shouldn't do. It's for everybody in the room. And, and Paul is writing not to, it's not about what your friends do at work. It's not about what's acceptable in the culture. He's writing to Christians to say, let me tell you some things that Christians need to take into account as they approach the area of their bodies and their sexuality in particular. Finally, then brothers and sisters will insert. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Again, if you are seeking to follow Jesus, this is for you. If you're here today and you're checking out Christianity, you're not sure where you stand with your faith, just Listen. Just lean in and just learn about what Jesus says for those who follow him. Um, but if you're someone who says, I seek to follow Jesus, then you ought to take this to heart because these are not Paul's suggestions and they're not um, just ideas he thinks you should try. He's, he's going to say over and over again, this is actually coming from the Lord. You need to listen if you're trying to follow him. He says this, that as you received from us, once again, Christians who had received the message and loved Jesus, how you ought to walk, that's to live, and to please God. Now, I've highlighted the word please God or the words please God for this reason. When I was a kid, I was, in my mind, I thought, okay, don't touch the girls. You know, as a young boy, I was like, don't touch the girls. And here's why. My parents find out I'll be grounded. I'll get in trouble. My youth leader will be mad at me. You know, God will strike me down with lightning. Like, I thought, like, 
I'm not going to do these things that I'm not supposed to do because of all the bad things that will happen. And sometimes, of course, bad things can happen when you, when you do things you shouldn't do, touch things you shouldn't touch. But it, it, that's not what Paul points to. He actually says that you ought to walk and please God. That at the end of the day, it's not about the church establishing rules for how you live sexually. It's about you seeking to please God with your body, your life, and how you live it. Do you understand? It's not about, it's not about oh, what do people think of me? Oh, what if lightning hits me? It's like, what would God want me to do? Because I love him, right? Like, we, we sang these love songs to God and to Jesus today, this morning, and it's like, do you, do you feel that? Do you feel like, God, I, I want to surrender my life to you in such a way that I would live with my body, with my words, with my money, with my time in a way that pleases you. That's the motivation for living a certain way, for doing something or not doing something with your body. That is, that is the key here. It's not judgment. It's not fear. Although those things are real, it's, it's about seeking to please God. Next, he says this, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Now, we've been saying each week of this series, faith grows. So you have a bit of love, and through God's power within you, God's part, and your part of like trying to love others well and being humble and all of that, your faith and your ability to love grows with the combination of God and your effort together. This is how this works. And, and so what's fascinating about this is he says, you guys are trying to honor God with your bodies, and you're kind of doing a good job, but there's more. Like, you can do better. So nobody that he's writing to had arrived, just like nobody in this room has arrived. Oh, no. I am perfectly holy. Holy, holy Lord God Almighty. There's just me. You know, I... I'm perfectly holy. I never have bath. No, nobody has arrived. Do you understand this? There's more and more and more. It's like faith. It's like everything else we've talked about. It grows over time. And so as we seek to honor God with our bodies to obey him, what happens is we grow in the area of our sexuality and how we use our bodies. So again, I think one of the expectations is that if somebody claims to be a Christian, they've got everything sexual sorted out in their lives. That's just not true. Again, I figured that out later in life. It's really, really not true. I can't tell you how much it's not true. I could give you statistics that would scare you, that would tell you how much it's not true. And unfortunately, rather than being a place where people can say, yeah, actually, I do struggle, and let's support one another and encourage one another, it's we all just like, no, we're good. Everybody's good. Nobody needs help. Nobody needs encouragement. We're all just good. Let's just, okay, can we just stop this sermon right now and get on to next week when we talk about love? Because that's what we want to hear about, right? And what's amazing about this whole, and I think maybe what makes this, this uh, tension-filled conversation is this. Um, in our culture, if I was talking about generosity and love right now, everyone in this room is going, awesome, generosity, be nice to others, yeah. You could go out into the community and everyone, people who have no faith in Jesus, never read the Bible, would be like, generosity, kindness, yeah. But the moment you start talking about things you should not do, the moment you begin to limit someone's freedom, you have like, you have crossed a line of no return in our culture because our culture says whatever you want to do is your choice and nobody, you know. And so I'm not standing here telling you what you shouldn't, shouldn't do. Paul is standing here telling us what God says we should and shouldn't do. And when God tells us what we should and shouldn't do, again, what's fascinating about this is it's actually our choice to surrender to that. And when we do, God has our best in mind. So with all of that, um, we jump into the second verse. He says this, He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. 
So we told you things that were directly from Jesus. It's not, not Paul's opinion, not Silas's opinion on this. It's Jesus' opinion. And he says, you know what we taught you, but we don't. Like we have the letter with them reminding them. And by the way, you know, some of us are in this place and we're like, oh, I'm a good Christian. I don't struggle in that area. We all need to be reminded. And Paul's reminding them of some things he had previously taught them. Thankfully, we have a bunch of Paul's other letters so we can get a little more clarity on what he taught. And we'll talk a little bit uh, about that as we go forward. But he continues in verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God. Now, I don't want you to miss this passage. Paul says, this is what God wants for your life and for mine. You say, what about me? I'm single. This is what he wants. You say, what about me? I'm married. This is what he wants. What about me? I'm remarried three times. This is what he wants. What about me? I'm in a same-sex relationship. This is what he wants. He wants your sanctification. You go, what in the world does that mean? Sanctification. Nobody uses that word at the gym or at the office. Sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification literally means the process of purifying or setting apart. You go, okay, sanctification. Purifying, setting apart. So what does God want for you and for me? That we would be purified and set apart for a special purpose. I like to think of it this way. Uh, This week, my wife uh, pulled out some special dishes. Uh, It was a birthday party for a family member, and she brought out these beautiful little plates, you know, for cake. And, uh, And they were from England, and they're really old, and they, they have these beautiful paintings on them. It's very ornate china. Um, and, and she brought them out, and even our kids were like, oh, look at these amazing plates. They're so... And, um, and I found out afterwards that you're not supposed to put them in the dishwasher. Thankfully, I didn't put them in, but I was warned. They got to be hand-washed, and after they're hand-washed and dried, they go into a special cabinet where they're only pulled out for very special occasions. Maybe some of you have something like that in your home. Those dishes are sanctified. They are set apart for a very, very special purpose, and only that purpose. And when, when we become children of God and we place our faith in him and he becomes our father, he wants to sanctify us. He wants the way that we live and how we use our tongues, our bodies, our money, everything to be set apart for his purposes. It's, it's a different way of life. And Paul's reminding them that, hey, following Jesus means your life will look different than the culture. It means you won't do what everyone else does. And so he says that God's will for us is that we would be sanctified, set apart. Now, this word sanctified actually gets paired up with three other words. Now, this is like six weeks of theology lectures, and I'm going to try and do it in two minutes. So hang on to your hats. We have three big words, okay, that Christians have thrown around for centuries. The first word is justification, okay? And what that means is God has a standard that's like perfect, pure, holy, nothing but. And none of us meets it. Any, any disagreements in the crowd? No. No. None of us meets the perfect standard. So we get this perfect standard, and none of us meets it. So guess what? We're all judged. You go, well, that stinks. So God sets in motion a plan where he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, who lives the perfect life without sin, and then pays for the penalty of our sin. So it's a a swap and replace kind of thing. And so he dies for our sin, and when we place our faith and trust in him, what happens is this word justification means God looks at you and me as if we were Jesus. And he smiles and he goes, son, daughter, perfect, holy, and he sees us through the lens of Jesus. So we are justified because we are perfect in God's eyes. But guess what the reality is? That every day, 
sitting at the computer, going to work, someone cuts you off. We're, we're kind of not there, right? So we're, we're, we're justified. We're, God says we're holy, but the process of actually living out that holy life is called sanctification, setting apart and purifying our lives. And every single one of us is on this journey. Those of us who have who've taken the step of faith, then it's like God says you're holy, but you are day by day learning to live holy. That's sanctification, setting aside, cleansing. And, and some of you are just at the very beginning, and you're, you're down here in the process. Some of you have been doing it for decades, and maybe you've gotten to here. <laughs> but there's still so, so you have justification. God looks at you holy. Sanctification, you are learning to live holy. And lastly, glorification. And glorification is, see, here's the thing. The reason why we struggle with sin is because we live in bodies of sin. And our bodies are tempted by everything and leading us astray and our thoughts and all that stuff. And so what happens is when Jesus returns, we get a new body, a perfect body that's no longer pulling us towards sin. And so all of a sudden, our physical reality and our spiritual reality come into alignment, glorification. In the meantime, we're working on the sanctification thing, learning to live each and every day in the way that pleases God. That's the theme. And so here's what he says. He says... um, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain or don't participate in from sexual immorality. Now, if you were to open some different translations of the Bible, you might find it saying something like, you should abstain from fornication. Another word we don't use in our common vernacular anymore. Fornication means any any sexual activity outside of the marriage bed. One man, one woman for life. That's That's the bullseye on the target that God gives for for sex. And so anything outside of that is called fornication. So that's one way to put it. Another way to say it would be uh, to abstain from sexual sin. And, and the word sin literally means missing the mark. If you have an archer's target and there's a bullseye and like the bullseye is the perfect thing, anything outside of sex within a married couple is outside that bullseye. And we're kind of firing darts all over the place. And, and it doesn't matter. Our, our culture may say, well, this is fine and it's consensual and we love each other and it doesn't matter if we're married and it doesn't matter about gender. None of these things matter. It's just like, so we're just doing our thing. But the scripture is actually pretty clear. And I don't have time to, to really paint a picture of the high value that's placed on marriage. And I don't think the high value that's placed on marriage in the Bible and in scripture is actually because like marriage is a great thing, but I don't think it's the ultimate goal. If, if that makes sense. Like, you're going to find in this, in this entire eight verses we're talking about this, sex is only for marriage, and yet the word marriage is never mentioned. Because actually what God's after is holy people, not married people. So you can be single and holy. You can be married and holy. You can be divorced and holy. Like, it's, it's a heart thing, and it's a lifestyle, and it's a behavior thing. It's, it's not really about... But marriage is this beautiful picture in the Bible... Uh, when you go to the original creation account, you find there's a man named Adam, and he's made, and God says he's good, and everything's fine, but yet he's alone. And God actually, this is really key, he takes something out of the man, and he makes the woman, and he meets Eve, and he's like, hey, this is good. And Adam and Eve, they actually join together. One of the things I remember as a, as a kid, as a teenager, I remember reading that account, and it said, like, Adam knew Eve, and they conceived a kid, and I'm like, ooh. I know what new meant. Like I was, you know, thinking about it in my head. I'm like, okay, it's like, it's like code language. But, but what it's talking about is there's this deep connection between two people. And here's the, here's the most beautiful thing about marriage. It's, it's not like when two people physically come together, it's, it's a picture of complete unity. 
the two shall become one flesh. And it's a picture of unity and this picture of complete vulnerability. And that whole process is supposed to happen within the confines of a committed relationship. A committed relationship. And that's huge. Because essentially what's happening is you're saying, hey, I give myself completely to you. I'm for you no matter what happens. I'm not leaving. And so now there's a safe place to share my most vulnerable parts of me with you. This is, this is huge. And our, as culture, we throw away the beauty of all of it. And we throw away the sanctity of marriage. Now again, I'm not saying marriage is for everyone. Marriage is the best. Marriage is a wonderful gift from God and it's, it's a model. It's something to aim for. But it's holiness that God's after. It's, this, it's the process of sanctification that he's ultimately after in us. And Again, regardless of where you find yourself on the relationship scale, regardless of, of maybe where you've maybe messed up in the past, I really don't care about that. There's forgiveness and grace, and God is calling each of us from wherever we find ourselves on the scale to continue to take steps towards being set apart and holy. In fact, when my wife and I got married uh, 20 years ago, <laughs> you could say we were sanctified towards one another, set apart, for one another. In other words, I'm only for you and you're only for me. I'm your special china plate. You're my special china plate. No one else gets to use the china plate. And and even if my if me, the china plate are looking at this this platter over here, right? That's not sanctified and holy because I've I've said no, you I've only have eyes for you. And so there's this there's this incredible connection that happens, and it's, it's something that is set apart. It's supposed to be special. And ultimately, this is cool, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that marriage is actually supposed to point us to the gospel and to God and Jesus and his relationship with his church. So marriage isn't even the end thing. The end thing is God and his people being united together in oneness and sanctity. And marriage is just like a human example of what that might look like. So this isn't a marriage seminar. We'll just, we'll keep going. That you abstain, that you don't participate in sexual, so stuff outside of marriage. So at this point, I have to say a few things for those people who are married and are like, great, I've ticked that box. I'm good. I've accomplished that. There's no sexual immorality in me. Jesus actually said something that was pretty staggering to some of the religious leaders of his own day. In Matthew 5, verse 27, he says this. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Like, don't, don't sleep with someone who's not your husband, wife, etc. And all the religious people were like, good, yeah, we got it. Me and my wife, me and my husband, we're good, no problems. We're not violating any of God's law. Jesus says, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what Jesus does is he says, let's just, because again, we want to make rules and be like, hey, we're good, I'm good, we're all, and, and Jesus says, actually, God's even interested in your thoughts and hearts, because because true sanctification and true holiness isn't just the stuff we do and don't do externally. It actually gets into the heart of what's driving it underneath. You, you with me? And I want to share that with you to let you know that none of us is off the hook. If this process of sanctification is getting up to there, some of you might be here and you're struggling with sexual addiction, pornography, things like that, and others you may be in a committed relationship, but it's not one that God, God is honoring. And then maybe some of you are married and like, yeah, I'm good. No, you're not. There's work for every one of us to do. Because the goal isn't just stay out of trouble. The goal is sanctification and holiness, using our bodies, using our lives for the honor and glory of God. Making sense? Okay, we continue on verse 4. 
How are we doing? We're doing good for time. Verse 4, that each one of you know how to control his own or her own body. Uh, some translations use the word vessel. And I like that better translation uh, because um, when you think about you get in your car and you drive it down the road, you're driving a vessel, right? And guess what? You're controlling that vessel. If you're driving a boat across the lake, you're in control of that vessel. Uh, what Paul is saying here is he's saying like, you and I drive our bodies around. And we get to decide what we do. Whether we punch the guy who makes us mad, right? Whether we, whether we take the thing we want. Like we decide what we do with our bodies. We're in control of the vessel. And one of the things you have to understand is that when someone comes to faith, the, the scripture tells us, and we're going to see this again in a moment, that the Holy Spirit, God's holy, pure spirit comes to live in us, to lead us and guide us. But guess what? Our bodies are not holy. I know this is going to surprise some of you. Our bodies are not saved and changed. If you had warts on your hand and you became a Christian, take a look. They're still there. If you had anger issues before you became a Christian, I'm willing to bet you're still going to struggle with those things. If you had addictions and you become a Christian, guess what? Your body still wants what it wants, and you begin the process of fighting to line what you do with your body up with what God is leading you to do in your spirit, and this is the process of, of sanctification. So each one has to learn to control his own body, her own body, in holiness and honor. Again, it's not, don't do these things, they're bad. It's holiness and honor set apart for God. That is the goal that we aim for. He continues in verse 5, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. This, this phrase, passion of lust, could be like animalistic urges and passions. And all of us have them. I know everyone's just like, I'm holy, I never have an impure thought. Some of you have impure thoughts in church. I could sing of your love forever. Like you, you laugh because you know it's true. You're like, where did that come from? Right? Memories coming up, things you saw, did. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely. But what Paul says is we're not driven by those love. We don't, we control what our body does. We don't allow our body to control us. And this is, this is kind of a tough message because our culture today says if it feels right, do it. Like as long as it feels good and you're not hurting anybody, it's okay. It's, it's fascinating though because even at the time that Paul writes, there were a group of, specifically within the Romans, that were called Stoics. And they actually began to think about what is true and, and what is logical. And, and they actually came to the conclusion that, that doing whatever my body wants is actually makes me weaker, not stronger. And there were people that like, oh, I'm not eating that. I'm not because I, I want to be a strong individual. But for Christians, we don't do it for that reason. We do it because we want to please God. And that's very, very, very different. But we are controlling what we're doing. And we're taking charge uh, of what our body wants to do. Not in the passion of lusts in our body like the Gentiles do. Paul, uh, there's another place where Paul writes, and he talks about his own desires. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's writing about similar subjects. He says this in verse 26. Therefore, this is Paul the Apostle now, like St. Paul. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. So he's like, my goal as a Christian is to hit the bullseye. Even Paul hadn't hit it. I, I, I don't run with somebody like somebody who doesn't have aim he says, I box in such a way, not as beating the air. I'm not just swinging. This is purposeful. And he says, I buffet my body. Now, some of us buffet our bodies all the time, right? <laughs> Pizza Hut buffet. You, you got the Mandarin. Um, that's not what he's talking about. This is buffet. 
And buffet means you beat your body into submission. Now, I don't, Paul wasn't hitting himself with rods and whips. What he's saying is he, he would literally take charge of his own body, his own passions. You're like, really, pastor, do you mean that Paul was tempted? Yes. Do you mean Paul had selfish thoughts? Yes. Do you mean Paul sometimes struggled with pride? He tells us he does. He did. And so you're like, oh, wow, even Paul, yeah, Paul had a body just like you that was imperfect. And he took the opinion that, hey, I've got I've to tell this body what to do. I'm going to beat this thing into submission so that I can line up my behavior with what God says is best and desires for me so that I can honor him. Crazy, isn't it? And Paul says, and I do it so that after having preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Again, people in the church have been so critical of everyone around outside the church, and then when someone in the church falls in sexual sin, which is bound to happen, everyone's like, ah, see? Paul says, no, I'm going to take charge of my body. And then he says this in verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. I don't have time to, to really get into much of this, but um, it seems as though as, as they're writing these words to the Thessalonians that obviously he has in mind adultery. So like if someone takes someone else's husband or wife and sleeps with them, uh, there are massive ramifications for that. Would you agree? It's very, very bad. Uh, very damaging. It harms the person to whom they're married. Um, but you could take that a step further and say that all sexual sin outside that target causes some sort of harm. And I could stand up here and say, hey, like if everyone married one person and stayed married their whole life, like sexually transmitted disease, gone one generation. The number of fatherless and motherless children would be greatly decreased. Like you could just, so many socioeconomic issues would be eradicated, but of course, that's not what we want to do. And I'm not suggesting that everything is perfect and euphoric, but I am saying that God gives us this, this template to pursue, and he says, don't transgress your brother in this way. In fact, uh, sexual sin is the one type of sin in the Bible that it doesn't, never tells you to stand against. Never tells you to just stand against it, right? Like, stand firm. You know what it says? Flee sexual immorality. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Joseph, and, and he's serving a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife was probably very beautiful, and she tries to seduce him. And this probably would not have been uncommon in that culture, uh, but Joseph wanted to please God. And so she's grabbing his robe, and guess what he did? He ran away. He wasn't like, I'll just stay here and pray and think holy thoughts. No, he would have run away. So he had to put himself in business. It's the one thing that God never says, oh, just be strong. He actually says, run away every single time, which is, which is fascinating. Just throw that out there for you, especially for you young people. Six-inch rule and all that. That's what they had when I was in youth group, six-inch rule. Keep your distance. <laughs> right? We'll just, we'll just kiss and hug for a while. Nothing will happen. Everyone who's older and wiser is like, bad idea. Flee. Um, he says this next, though. He says, don't wrong your brother through sexual sin. And I could stand here and I could tell you story after story of marriages, of lives that were destroyed through just not following a simple instruction but abstaining from sexual immorality. Like just not choosing to do that. The harm, the memories, the infidelity. People say, oh, it's just me. It's hidden. Nobody knows. And then their spouse finds out. People that trust them and look up for them find out. And it's devastating. It's devastating. Of course, nobody talks about it. But it is. And Paul says, don't wrong your brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger. This is, you know, 
There's a movie called The Avengers, right? And they, like, they make it right, you know? They take out the bad dudes. Paul calls God the Avenger. So when we harm one another, you know, it's like when one of my kids harms one of their siblings, guess who steps in? Dad does. Avenger. <laughs> you know? I'm going to make it right. Like someone's going to pay. And, and Paul actually says, he doesn't say, hey, Paul and Silas are going to show up and we're going to put in church discipline. He said, God, God sees. And so again, we seek to do it to honor him, but when we don't, God actually will step in and, and he'll address us individually. So it's kind of a big deal. And I know it's heavy. That's why it's so quiet in here. But as we close out in verse 7, he says, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Now, I think this is super important. Again, the theme of this whole message today is not marriage. It's not no sex, no fun. It's actually pursuing holiness and purity before God. Using our bodies, using our lives in a way that honors him. And honestly, as I said earlier, it's really for each one of us to go, what is the next step for me in that progression? If God desires to set me apart for a special purpose, what is that purpose? And then how do I take a step towards it? Here's how he finishes in verse 8. Therefore, he says, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. Again, Paul's like, this isn't me. This is God. I'm saying this isn't me. This is Paul and God. But he says, who gives the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, this is important. God gives his spirit, which is holy, pure and set apart. And if he puts his Holy Spirit in us, what do you think his Holy Spirit will lead us to do? To live holy and pure lives. And he won't be satisfied with just we're not doing the really bad things that everyone can see and know about. He'll address heart issues. He'll address motives. He'll address hidden desires. He'll address it all. But remember what we've been saying week after week. God's part, our part. The Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will convict us. The Holy Spirit will tell us to confess. The Holy Spirit will lead us to change, to control our body. But we have to choose to walk in holiness, to take one step at a time. And again, uh, I always wanted this church to be a safe place for people to struggle along the way in the journey because, again, going to a church where it looks like everybody's got it together is actually not that helpful because you feel like you're the only one who doesn't have it together. And in reality, we are all... Uh, stumbling along in various ways, trying to hold and encourage and strengthen one another as we all take steps towards holiness and purity and lives that honor God. That's the call. That's the call in our text today. As I said, the goal, and I don't want you to hear this today, the goal is not like marriage is the solution. Because I, I thought as a young man that if I got married, sexual immorality is not a struggle anymore for me. And Marriage isn't a silver bullet. It's, a, it's, it's this beautiful union that, that points us to Christ, points us to the gospel, but it's not the end. You don't have to be married to be fulfilled. You don't have to be married to be sexually pure. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about that. It's about you and I as followers, sons and daughters of God, using our bodies, using our lives, using our time, our money, our gifts, everything completely yielded and surrendered to him. And maybe for some people that's not an area of struggle, but something else is. And whatever that thing is that God puts his finger on, maybe it's you can't forgive somebody and God's like, actually, you need to forgive. It's like, no, you can't tell me what to do. We've all got our thing. Humility, receiving the word implanted, able to save the soul. Father, this morning as we uh, close out our time together, I pray that whoever's here, whoever's listening on by video, whoever's hearing these words of mine, the words of Paul, I know there are lots of questions and lots of concerns and what about me and what about this situation? 
Lord, I pray that the heart of this message is heard, that God, you have designed and desired to set us apart wholly for you. And God, that we might use our bodies and our lives and our time and our resources and every part of our lives fully surrendered to you for your glory and for the benefit of those around us. Help us, Lord, to be humble enough uh, to listen to what you say and to know that it's for our best. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this place who's never received you as their Lord and trusted you with their lives, that they would do so today and begin taking the next steps. Help us strengthen us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.